Well, Pastor Kelly has us in a series right now, taking our jobs back. And when I was asked to come up and speak in his place, which I consider a great honor, when I was asked to do this, I didn't, I felt wrong coming up here because we had such good momentum with last service and the service before, and he's building something extremely unique and he's taking us somewhere as a church. And I didn't want to do an offshoot of that. Instead, if today, if you'll allow me, I'm going to do a branch off of what he's already rooted in here. Is that okay? Um, my family, my wife and I, we are avid hikers. We will, for fun, for fun, put our lives at risk and stand on the edge of rock faces for 15 minutes and climb back down again. And uh, totally her idea, by the way. I, I'm, I'm, you know, married, so you do it. And, uh, <laughs> but for that being said, we, we frequent water to national parks quite often. You know, we've taken our family up the Red Rock Canyon, I think it's called, and the Riverwalk, and it's a very beautiful thing. And if you're a parent in here, you've ever taken your kids up that Riverwalk, it is both beautiful and uh, traumatizing at the same time. Because one minute they're standing solidly on a rock, the next minute they're floating away down the river, and it's like, okay. Uh, that, that being said, my family and I, um, we decided to go up to Red Rock with the kids, and we're going to go on a hike. And this is kind of the premise of where I want to go with this story, is that as a father, you know, when, when I was growing up, and I was thinking about, man, when I'm going to be a dad, I'm going to have all these stipulations for my kids, and this is how I want them to grow up, and this is kind of like the boundaries that I want them to, I want, I want them to understand my, the spiritual side of life, the practical side of life. And so when I go into situations that might be dangerous with my kids, I always get like a Liam Neeson, Jason Statham kind of mindset where I'm constantly evaluating the people around my kids, and I'm like, okay, if this were to happen, I would jump in, do a backflip, double cartwheel, and knock the guy out kind of thing. Like as a dad, can you raise dads right in here? You do whatever you can to protect your kids, correct? So in this mindset, I kind of have an illustration for you. This is how I picture myself as a dad. I love that. Half the room's like, oh, the other half's like, Because <laughs> honestly, as dads, this is our heart right? We want the best for our kids. We will take arrows for our kids. We will, we will do whatever it takes to protect them. And in talking about that, this is um, a story that has really disrupted our household. While we were at Red Rock Canyon and we're walking, uh, my son, he was about four years old. He was coming up. We were coming up to a point in the river where it was going to be a little difficult for him to walk without falling in. So I looked at him. I was like, hey, buddy, do you need a lift up? He's like, no, I'm good. I call him Gray Gray the Brave because he's just like, He's just, he is. So I look at him, I'm like, are you good? He's like, no. I'm like, okay. So I take a couple more steps and I see him and he's struggling a little bit. He lost his shoe. It's floating down the river. And I'm like, buddy, are you, are you sure you're okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. And I'm like, no, no. I said, dad, you know, this, and this is where the picture comes up. I'm like, yeah, let me lift you. And so I go over and I pick him up and I'm like, oh, I got this dad thing. And I start walking. And the next thing I know, I'm stepping on a rock that has very little traction on it and my foot slips, I begin to fall back. And so as a dad, I'm like rolling onto my back, phone wallet in back pockets, and falling backwards into the river to protect the dryness of my son. Which, which you'd all do it, right? So I did that, and I fall into the water, and I hold him up. He doesn't have a drop on him. Holding him up, and I'm feeling like the dad of the year, and I get up, I brush myself off, I'm kind of done for the day. And he looks at me, and he's like, Dad, you dropped me in a river. I'm like, no, I saved you from the river. He's like, you dropped me in a river. <laughs> and he's traumatized by it. 
there's something in his mind that is concrete in there that he will never forget this moment of events and continually hold me in contempt for it. So I now recognize this is coming to surface in regular activities that we do. So he enjoys going through McDonald's, getting that really cheap ice cream that's made of you know what. And so we're going through the drive-thru and in the drive-thru waiting for the ice cream, if it's taking too long, I'd be like, man, what is taking so long for this? It's ice cream, you put it in a cone. And he'll look at me and he's like, well, you shouldn't have dropped me in a river. No word of a lie. Get the hydro bill in. I'm like, man, why is the hydro so high these days? And he's like, well, water's expensive, Dad. <laughs> really? And I find it comical, and I was just thinking about this while we were going into this, and I'm like, there are so many times in our lives, I think that we are put on halt in our progression for what God wants for us because an event happened or we put our trust into a responsibility that let us down, dropped us, and, and did not fulfill our expectations, and we don't move forward from it. And I think as Pastor Kelly is charging us to go into our cities and restore them and rebuild, um, I think of an army, which is, a, which is a very valiant vision. I'm tied to it. My life is tied to it. But I, I think of these armies whose commanders say go fight and half of the army is at full speed the other half is a little hesitant because they've been in war before they've been wounded before they know they can they they're actually if i could say they're a bit handicapped in their energy to drive back into it again they won't do it there's boundaries set there's heart that's there's there's moments hurt you got to the trust is broken and so we're going to dive into a story today, a tale of two houses, and I want to look at a specific character today. And the premise is that if we are going to go and restore our cities and rebuild homes, then there's a whole lot of work that needs to happen before we go and do that. And I'm not going to spoil it. So here we go. We're going to jump into 2 Samuel chapter 4. It says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old. And when the news of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, his nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell, became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. We're going to call him Phoebe today because I haven't had enough coffee and I don't want to offend anybody or swear. So that's a tough word. <laughs> tough word. So here we have a tale of two houses. We have David's house and we have Saul's house. David, at a young age, has been spoken over to be the next king of Israel, spiritually. Saul is currently the king of Israel, physically. And what happens here in this story is the, set in the, set in the, the scene here is that Saul and his sons have gone into battle against the Philistines because they're attacking again. And Saul loses his life. Jonathan loses his life. Jonathan's younger brother loses his life, and the other brother loses his life. And so when we're looking at the monarchy of Israel, the crown has fallen from generation to generation to generation. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, there's so many of us that want to act on the promises of God, that want to move on the things that we believe he's sown and, and seeded in us, that, that, that honestly... We're not shaken by it. We know what's going to happen, but we're hesitant to do it. And when I think about David and his life, 
me put it this way. You can be anointed, but still in the waiting room. Still in the process. And I think about it as like an escalator going up where God has placed many of us on the bottom rung and there's people and there's obstacles in front of us. And man, that escalator is going slow. And we're wanting to get to the top to where we see ourselves, to where we believe God's placed us. And we, we don't have the patience to wait it out. David waited approximately 15 years between when he was told he was going to be king and to the point where he actually got appointed to be king. You can be anointed, but not appointed. So if you're sitting in here today, and maybe that hesitation to jump into something courageous is holding you back. Maybe that temptation is because, man, I haven't seen God do anything in my life yet. He's told me, I believe it, I've heard it, I prayed it, but I haven't seen any evidence of it. So when you say charge, I'm hesitant because I don't see God working currently. How could I trust he's going to work in the future? And you might be ready, but God hasn't set the stage yet. And when you think about God being a God of order, Scripture tells us he ordains our steps. And when we think of if God is a God of order, then there's certain things that need to happen in order for the stage to be set. David's in waiting and Saul is taken out. Jonathan is taken out. So you may be in waiting, but your family's not ready yet. You may be waiting for that job promotion, but there's certain people that need to get moved out of that company before you even have a chance. And it's not delaying for punishment. It is holding back for the betterment and protection. That's what God does. And so while David's in waiting, he's watching Saul's family get completely taken out. And Saul's house is getting weaker and weaker. And David's house was getting stronger and stronger. Saul's house is falling apart. He and all his sons are dead. Most of them are dead, except one. And it falls down to a gentleman named Ishbosheth. Don't even try it if you haven't had coffee. It's not, it's, yeah. Ishbosheth. And his reign was short, two years. So we see the crown trickle down through son, son, opportunity, opportunity. And Ishbosheth is just this kid waiting in the palace, and the crown rolls in front of him. Hasn't had any training, isn't ready for the authority, isn't ready for the pressure. And so Ishbosheth is picking up the crown and putting on his head, but he can't stand the weight of the crown. There are things that you're asking God to do right now in your life, but if he were to give it to you right now, it would crush you. The maturity's not there. The family's not there. The stability's not there. It's a process. It's patience. I'm taking you somewhere. Hold on. His reign lasted two years because you can be legitimate on paper, but if you're, if you're not connected by the heart, what good is a title if people don't see you as the leader? Ishbosheth had no influence. He may have had a crown, but no influence. It's like the leader that has the title, but doesn't have the heart of the people. So he's thrown the crown, expected to run the kingdom, and yet he has no influence. So his own men take him out after two years. His captains kill him. And too many people miss great opportunities because their heart isn't ready. Your heart's not ready. It's been wounded. It's been dropped. And it's been stuffed down to make it look like you're okay. But honestly, if you were to unravel it right now, it'd be a mess. So what happens in this story, Abner, who is Saul's cousin, 
is advocating for David that is David's time. He's going to the elders and being like, it's David's turn. Isn't it interesting that a member of Saul's house would be pushing for David to take the throne? And it makes me wonder if some of the people that we pushed away in our life were actually advocating for us. Who has been in your life that you've pushed away, but actually they need to be in your proximity, in your sphere of influence? You're like, that's an outlandish statement. Why would you say that? Well, because when Abner goes to David and says, David, it's your turn to be king. You know what David does? David had a wife named Michal. It was the princess that he got after killing Goliath. And she was the same woman that stood at a window while David danced undignified in the streets and poked fun at him and was like, what are you doing? You're ridiculous. She was, she was not nice by any means. But what David does is when he's offered to be king, he's like, I'm not going to be king unless I can have my wife with me. I want Mikhail back. And by this time, Mikhail's already married to somebody else. They live in a farm somewhere. And so Abner goes to the farm, tells Mikhail's husband, it's like, David, King David, needs your wife. And so he walks him down to the edge of the farmland. Abner is like, get to step in. You're done. Mikhail, you're now with David. And David takes his throne. Now you're like, man, that's, that's cray cray. It is. It is. But you got to understand something, is that when you have a promise of God over your life, and then you're pushed into promotion because God's timing is happening. Everything is aligning. You can't afford to have a fracture in your foundation. You can't afford to have messes of broken, like, like broken relationships everywhere and expect people to look up at you as king. David knew this. So David's like, if I'm going to take the authority over Israel, I, there's some things I got to fix. Because I'm not going to get their buying if I don't have their heart. And so when we're looking at our city and we're looking at rebuilding our cities and restoring our homes, let me tell you, church, we are going to be ineffective if we're lighting up people on the roast and toast page and then we go out and expect to give them a sandwich and everything's all good. It doesn't happen that way. We can't do that. We cannot do that. If we're going to be parallel church and come alongside, it is going to require a deeper level of commitment from us. Much deeper. Deeper than you want to go. It's going to cost you your humility, possibly your reputation, to be able to restore so that we can build, from song we just sang, a firm foundation in our communities. And the kings and the people that reign that don't choose to come down to a level to fix those, their reign is very short, and we are not meant for a temporary reign here. Amen? So... <laughs> Phoebe, I like that. David knew in order to properly reign Israel, he needed to graft Saul's house back into the house of David. So he gets back together with Mikhail. And truth be told, there are people in your life that you would prefer to have outside of your sphere. And I want to ask you this, is are there people in your life that you have written off that God is trying to write into your story? Who is on that list of people that you've decided to discommunicate from that God's like, no, 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 you're going to need them. You may not need them now. You may not need what they have right now. But goodness, if you're, if you're, if if you're going to go where I want to take you, you're going to need them. They don't need to be in your sphere of influence, 
but dang, they need to be in your sphere, in the vicinity. David could have written off Michaela a long time ago, but he's like, no, no, I, 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 if the calling will always outweigh the conflict. It needs to outweigh the conflict. So David knew the betterment of Israel rested on his decision to make amends with people that he writ off in his life. And if you believe that your calling is great, which I hope you do because it is, it's going to cost you a decision to reconcile. You hear me, church? Is this too heavy? Okay, okay. So, and not, yeah, I know half of you are like, I ain't doing that. You don't know what they did to me. <laughs> it's going to cost you. It's going to cost all of us, honestly. I love this. So Abner is advocating for David to be king. David finally becomes king. And here's where we're going to take a 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. And David is sitting where Saul used to sit. David is sitting amidst the prayers that he prayed 15 years ago. He's finally in God's blessing. He's finally in the place that God destined him to be. And his decision of what he does in this moment is so powerful because many of us would pray for God to come through in our lives and do something miraculous and he does it miraculous and then we hold it to ourselves and we're like it's just me and God against the world me and God against the world but if you understand how miracles work miracles are meant to be multiplied so if God does a blessing in your life it's supposed to be reciprocated out did you hear me it is not for us to hold and hoard it is something to give away and and watch it trickle effect happen through generation to generation. It's the only way we go forward, church, is that when God does something, a miracle, I received a miracle. Okay, now I'm in the place to give a miracle. I'm in the place, this is why we give in church on Sundays. Hello, generosity. is because I've gotten what I've been promised. Now I have to make sure my life endeavor is to set out to make sure somebody else gets what they were promised. Some of you agree, some of you don't. That's okay. You can talk to me afterwards. Send all the hate mail to Ralph at parallelchurch.com. <laughs> Watch what David does. David asks, is there anyone, anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness to? For Jonathan's sake. Jonathan and David had a very cool friendship. Even though they were opposing houses, they saw each other. They knew each other. They loved each other. And so David is finally sitting in the midst of God's blessing. And he's like, now that I have everything that I've been promised, it is time to give it away. It's time to bless somebody else. In our home, actually over our table, <clears throat> I wasn't going to go into this. I was actually going to bring it, but it's a giant sign. And I'm like, that's just too cluttery. So over our table, it says, when you have more than you need, build a longer table, not a taller fence. Build a longer table, not a taller fence. We all came in with nothing. We're all going out with nothing. We might as well share it. I love this. Is there anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? God's kindness, not his kindness. You see that? I'm showing God's love, not because I feel forced to, but because God's so good in me, I'm going to give it out. Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. 
David says, where is he? Ziba answered, he's in the house of Makir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. Did you know that you can, you can isolate yourself so far from God and think that nobody knows where to find you and God knows where you are? God knows exactly where you are. The pain you're feeling, what you're facing, the conflicts at work, whatever it is, and you think that you're hiding it from everybody around you, but God, God can pinpoint where you are when he needs you, when it's time, even when it's not time. So when we're looking at David and we're looking at Mephibosheth, Phibi, <laughs> you can laugh, it's okay. It's found in Lodabar. Lodabar has two meanings. First meaning is no communication. And if we're to be honest with ourselves, we're all a little bit like Phoebe here because when we've been dropped so hard and we've had promise fail after promise fail after promise fail, we will discommunicate, excommunicate, whatever it is, ourselves away from society. We will isolate into a desolate place. And we'll actually show up to church, but we won't sing praises as loud as everybody else because we have a burden that we haven't dealt with. You'll stand in the midst of a praise and worship session and be the most silent person in the room. Can't raise your hands because the weight's too bad. And so the second meaning of Lodabar is no pastures. It means you've given up on growing yourself. You've given up on being a better husband, a better father, a better, a better employee. You, 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 you don't see the reason or the purpose for growing anymore and you've hit a cap that you've placed over yourself. That's what Lodabar means, and that's where all of us go when somebody has let us down way too hard. But something cool happens here. Watch this. David finally has all he ever wanted. His anointing finally meets his time. His first response is not to lavish in it, but show kindness towards the fallen house. And so in 2 Samuel 9, verse 5 to 7, says this, so King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil, and when Phibi, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor, and David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. He said, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you the kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. You will always eat at my table. You were from an opposing house, but you will always eat at my table. You were broken and isolated, but you will always eat at my table. You were forgotten and thought that you would miss out on, on your royalty, but I'm going to allow you to sit at a king's table anyways. That's what God does with us. That's what God does with us. If you came in here and you're, you're, you feel like you've been isolated or you decided to isolate yourself, you've been in Lodabar way too long, let me tell you something. God is inviting you to sit at a table that you do not deserve to sit at. None of us deserve to sit at it. You will always eat at my table. It's an admirable charge to be the ones who desire to rebuild our cities and restore our homes. It's so good. But can I submit to you that we can't rebuild on fractured foundations? David saw the importance of unity in Israel that he was willing to revisit, restore, and recommit to people in his life that were on the opposite side of the fence as him. 
And while we're committing to restoring our, I, I passed this message by Pastor Kelly, just so you guys know. Okay? While we're doing this, would you also commit to the restoring of conflicts that remain undealt with in your life? Dealing with the tensions between relationships that keep you up at night. The ones that stop you from enjoying the life that God purposed you to have. And this is a really dumb illustration, I know, but I want you guys to just follow along with me. Maybe you'll get something out of it. Maybe you won't. I think it's cool. Can you guys close your eyes for just a minute? And God will know if you're peeking. So, don't look. I want you to imagine you're King David and you're sitting at the king's table and your children are sitting around the table and you're about to sit down for your weekly, nightly dinner as a family, as a royal family, basking in God's goodness. And then all of a sudden, someone from the opposing house is making their way down the hallway towards the dinner table. Do you hear that, church? That's the sound of people coming through our doors every week. They may not have physical crutches on them, but they are broken and wounded and barely making it on the inside. And if we're going to restore our cities, it's going to cost us something. This is the sound of brokenness that comes through the doors every Sunday. Can we trade our past resentments, disagreements, and conflicts for a win of unity in our cities and salvation in our people? Can we? Is there anyone else? Title of the message today. Is there anyone else? Let this be your question coming out of church. Is there anyone else that I can show kindness to? And allow that list of people that you've crossed off to get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Now, I was talking to somebody outside in the lobby just after the last message and, and made a very good point. I'm just going to point it out here as well, is that you may be sitting here and you're like, even if I tried to forgive, they wouldn't take it. They wouldn't even accept it. It's been too long. It was way too hard of a circumstance. Your responsibility is to you. You cannot allow or expect the response to dictate you moving forward in your forgiveness. So if that is, come on, if that is the case, allow them, give them permission in their timing to come back into your sphere. And if you don't want them in your sphere of influence, that's a completely different thing, completely different space. That's on that. But as long as you've done your part, and if you're sitting here and you feel like your progression is halted by somebody else's response, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh you make the decision. It's a personal thing. So takeaway today is this, guys. In order to rebuild, to be rebuilders of cities and restorers of homes, we must commit to be reconcilers of differences. We've got to find that middle ground. And when our leaders say charge, to hit our communities with an unprecedented amount of compassion and love and generosity. 
I don't want to be the one standing back and being like, I got too much stuff to deal with. I, don't, I, can't, I can't participate in the fight or participate in the progression of overturning the soil in this city. I want to be the ones that's freed up from guilt. I want to be freed up from self-deprecation. I want to be freed up from all the bitterness and resentment that I've been stuffing and stuffing and stuffing and stuffing down. It's going to hold me way too heavy to be able to be freed up to take any ground. And if you're in here today and you're like, Pastor Kelly, that is a, that is a valiant ambition. And I'd like to take part, but the weight I carry... It weighs way more than a, than a sword and a shovel. I can't move right now. I can't breathe some days because of the tension and everything that I've just stuffed away. So let me just give you a, a, like a brief moment of levity here. Is that David knew what it was like for his purpose to be postponed. There was something David saw about Mephibosheth that was like, wait, I can relate to that. Because David was a king in waiting spiritually, and Mephibosheth should have been next in line for that royal position. And David had a comeback, and it felt a responsibility to Mephibosheth. I gotta give this kid a comeback. And God is saying to you today, it's like your comeback is in the waiting. Like just, just come to me. There's so many scriptures about just relieving your burdens on him and letting it go. And I know it's not easy because the natural and the spiritual, it just, it gets complicated. But let me just even, he would not put that purpose in you if it wasn't meant to come to fruition. And our responsibility to our calling, this is your responsibility, your calling is to come to the place where you're so humble. It's like, God, I need you to do an inter, like an intrinsic work in me. I need you to rework my heart so that I see people differently. I need you to let me go of these weights and responsibilities that I carry that weren't mine to begin with. And if you can do that, if, you're, if, you, if you care about your calling that much that you're willing to come to that place, there is nothing that God will not do with your life. Let me tell you, he will take you from the most broken, desolate places and sit you at king's tables, make you part of an influence in cities in countries. I'm not thinking small here, guys. Small decisions pay big rewards. And that's a small decision. It carries a lot of weight. But if you're willing to do it, you can walk with a different confidence that God's got a direction for your life and you're on your way to it. Amen. The most difficult conflict that can be reconciled is with ourselves. You've been able to forgive yourself or give yourself the grace that you so definitely deserve for mistakes that were made, responsibilities dropped, or people you un unintentionally let down. So church, if we are going to, to hold a sword in one hand, like Pastor Kelly's been talking, like Nehemiah, if we're gonna hold a sword in one hand, if we're gonna hold a shovel in the next, we don't have room for guilt. There's just no room for it. And to be effectively corporately, we need to do this individually. I can't force you to go and forgive the people and let that weight off of your life. But I'm praying that God can show you the words, the compassion, the grace that you've been given and allow that to be reciprocated back to those that deserve it in your life. Amen? Let me pray with you. God, we thank you for your miracle working power. I thank you, God, that you have the ability 
to see through circumstance and look at the heart. So Father, today in this room, for those that came in heavy and weighted, God, I pray that there is a relief and a recognizing of the grace that you give. And that same favor that David showed Mephibosheth, God, that same favor, that spirit rests in us. So God, help us to be reconcilers. Help us to look at the conflicts and see the resolutions at the end of it instead of letting it be an obstacle from stopping us to getting to your purpose. And God, for every heart in here today, God, is just wanting just, just a little bit of help in this. God, I, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you completely overflow in this room. I pray that hearts are mended, relationships restored, God, and at the end of this, we see ourselves as a stronger unit going into our communities with different weaponry, God, to be able to take down the strongholds that exist, the differences that exist. You purposed us for something great, God, and we're ready for it. Amen. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to run through a prayer with you right now that does exactly that. And it's not joining this church. It's not joining religion. It's simply just a relationship with God. Uh, so if you'd like, you can close your eyes, bow your head, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you now to become my Lord to become my friend, to become my savior. I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin anew with you today. My heart is yours, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So guys, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, first off, congratulations. That is an amazing decision. Second off, there is a link that has been posted in the comment section that you can click on. Click on that link, fill out that form. We'd like to get to know you a little bit better. We'd like to just help you along uh, in your journey and just help with anything that we can uh, from here on.